0: in
1: crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective. And I'm here with my co-host, Captain Ed Mamet. Say hello, Ed.
1: Good afternoon, WABC Cop Talk listeners.
0: So today, our guest is City Councilwoman Ina Vernikoff. Welcome, Ina.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, Ina is, was elected in November 2021. She represents the 48th District in Brooklyn, parts of Brighton Beach, Manhattan Beach, Sheepshead Bay, and the Midwood sections of Brooklyn. Is that correct? You got it. Okay, well, welcome. Welcome, and thank you for being on Cop Talk. Would you uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. So, I was elected in 2021. I came from Ukraine, which is now at war with Russia, as everyone knows, when I came when I was 12 years old, I came to America with my family, didn't speak a word of English, my family didn't speak a word of English, everyone had to work two jobs, learn a new language, you know, difficult immigration process, I went through school, became an attorney, had my own law practice. And then in 2020, during the BLM riot, a rise in anti-Semitism and a movement to defund the police, I decided that I am going to step away from my law practice and run for office, which was not an easy decision to make, but I thought it was important to stand up for communities, for conservative values, just for common sense. And so, um, I ran as a Republican, and I won a landslide. And now I represent 180,000 people in my district.
0: You were uh, attacked by BLM protesters, the peaceful protesters who also injured cops, uh, correct?
2: Oh, yeah, they were very peaceful. Um, (laughs) Yes, so I was on my way to my office. It was during COVID. It was during the riots. Um, I don't know if they were BLM, if they were on FIFA, but we were stuck on the Brooklyn Bridge, and I thought we were just stuck in traffic because we weren't moving. And then I see a bunch of people just running towards cars and they were running towards my car. I had a convertible at that time and I think they saw my car. They thought I was probably rich, you know, rich with white privilege. So they ran towards my car. I had the time to barely had the time to close my roof and they started, you know, yelling curses, get the F out of the car. They started, you know, yelling, defund the police, BLM stuff. um, And they actually broke my mirror. It was very scary because on top of the Brooklyn Bridge, that was the time when three cops were seriously injured, and there were no cops. there was only one cop you know on the bridge where we were where our cars were, and it was really scary. there was nothing you could do i mean i have I carry mace with me, I could mace them, but then I'm in my car. It was a really scary moment. um and I think by that time, I had already either filed or was exploring uh, running for office, but that just kind of encouraged me more because, I mean, it it was insane craziness, and there was not enough cops to stop and to help the regular average folks.
0: So basically, that was the icing on the cake to run for city council. Yes. You, you mentioned MACE. Uh, have you applied for a pistol permit?
2: Yes. I actually am I'm a step away from getting my license. I passed the exam. I have a certificate from the NRA. I just need to, haven't had the chance, but I just need to submit my character affidavits and I'm good to go.
1: Don't you also have a self-defense um, group or a, or a business or a program that you're involved in?
2: Definitely not a business. Uh, I know my opponent's trying to paint it as that, but no, I was involved in a self-defense organization called Legion. Everyone in that organization is a volunteer. I was a volunteer before I ran for office. I was a chair, a committee chair in that organization. I think they do incredibly important work training Jews and non-Jews how to defend themselves in case of an attack. Um, I joined the Legion after the attack in Pittsburgh after about 10 Jews in a synagogue were murdered, and I brought them into my district, I worked with the organization to bring them to my district, and we opened up a class here. An Avenue T in a synagogue, and it's, it's been very successful. It's a wh- four-month course, and I think it's very necessary.
1: Recently, you uh, you wrote a letter to the, uh, the, I believe, the second department, the Appellate Division, which covers uh, Brooklyn, about Fatima Muhammad, who made that disgusting speech at CUNY Law School, college commencement. Can you talk about that? That letter was quite uh, interesting.
2: Sure. So, first of all, this is not the first time this is happening at the City University of New York. The City University of New York, as a whole, has a major problem. Specifically with anti-Semitism, but also with kind of not giving a space to conservative voices. And there are campuses. There are twenty-six campuses in the city of New York, and about five or six of them are really problematic in terms of anti-Semitism, anti-Israel sentiment, anti-cop rhetoric. Just you know, this hatred for America. Last uh, year, same thing happened. Nardine Kiswani made a similar speech at the commencement ceremony, um, and the issue is that. These commencement speakers are unanimously elected by the student body. And these are the people that they put up on a pedestal to make a speech. These are, you know, the the role models of the law school. And, you know, they get applauded. They do this. They know that they're going to get support. They're encouraged by the members of the administration. And I've been saying this, I think, the problem isn't just the speech. The problem is how did we come to this? How did it end up that this student was elected and she made this kind of speech where she's not talking about her law school experience and how much she's going to do, how much good she's going to do for her community as an attorney, what she's going to do to help people. No, she used that platform for politics, She used that platform to crap on the police, to use that platform to demonize Israel, to demonize Zionists, and to really, you know, Talk about how much he hates America and capitalism. And this this is happening because the City University of New York has festered that environment. They've created a hostile environment for those that they disagree with and they haven't done a thing about anti Semitism, about conservative voices. I mean you know, last year I had a hearing we held a hearing on anti Semitism at CUNY and it was it was mind boggling. So I think this is just a result of what's been happening there for years. Well,
1: hopefully she'll fail the bar exam and you don't have to worry about her being licensed. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, now, getting, getting back to that, uh, there are people who feel that under the First Amendment, she has a right to say what she said, as repulsive as it is. In fact, I, I sent your letter to a friend of mine who is an attorney. Actually, he's a, he was a prosecutor, and I was shocked by his reply. He says, oh, you know, even though it's repulsive, she has a right to say what she said. And, um, and he's jewish too and that's the shocking part about it is that he doesn't seem to bother him how do you feel about that
2: well i actually have to agree with your friend i agree with your friend because hate speech is protected by the first amendment and uh, he's right that in that as repulsive as it might be he's protected so you know i took a different approach to this i am not saying that the city university of new york needs to you know issue some kind of consequence or they could issue a statement which they did the board of trustees and the chancellor issued a statement which is it was fine, but it's not enough. But she has the right to say the things she said. My argument is that she might have the right to say what she said, but she's not fit to practice law in New York City, the most diverse city probably in the world, where she has explicitly expressed her hate for so many groups of people, which is, you know, it's in my letter. How can she represent anyone and you know, even if she doesn't get to represent those people, what if she becomes a judge and she has to she has to be on a case where she doesn't like the defendant or the plaintiff? So I'm just arguing that she's biased. Her place is not in, in the practice of it's not in the court. She's fine going to Gaza to teach jihad if she wants to or, you know, do some other stuff. But I'm just saying she's not fit to practice law.
1: Well, I can tell you this: if she wanted to be a police officer, she would be barred because the police department rules specifically prohibit dealing with uh, being part of a hate group or anything to do with hate uh, speeches. So, I want you to know that part. You know, you couldn't be a cop, but I guess you
2: could be a lawyer. Well, maybe not. Let's see. Let's see what they do. I don't think this such a thing has ever been brought to the ethics committee uh, or the um, what was it, the character and fitness committee.
0: Einer, um can you tell us about some of the? Public safety initiatives you've been involved
2: in with the city council? Sure. So just so your listeners know, it is practically impossible Well, it is impossible to pass any legislation supporting the police. We there was a bill that came on the floor. I think it was last year to, you know, in terms of pensions, in terms of improving pensions for the police, and that failed on the floor. And it's very unusual for a bill to fail on the floor. I think it hasn't happened in I I don't recall how many years, but it hasn't happened in a very long time where a bill comes to the floor and actually fails. You know, the good thing was that happened this year was that the Progressive Caucus which consisted of about 35 council members put out a statement saying that if you want to continue being on the progressive caucus, you have to sign a pledge that you're going to defund the police. And 15, about 15 members of the caucus resigned from the caucus because they refused to sign that pledge. I think an important piece of legislation, look, I, I, it's hard for Republicans to pass though. No? Um, So I figured if I can't pass them, why don't I just kill some really bad ones, right? Right. There was a bill that was coming to the floor that would basically prohibit landlords from checking the criminal background history of a potential tenant. And when I saw that, I just, I couldn't believe it. It wasn't proposed by somebody who is a radical, in my opinion. I'm not sure. I couldn't understand exactly why. I think it was politics, why he proposed that bill. But I, I thought that that bill would really make the city extremely unsafe so i kind of became the face of the opposition to that bill i spoke out a lot about it on fox news i got on different media stations i got people i have to tell you people from all over new york city were calling me, even though I don't represent them. They said their council members refused to get a meeting, take a meeting with them or a phone call about this bill. And so I actually galvanized communities from all over New York City, black and brown communities, Hispanic communities, small landlords. Just really, it was it was amazing to see how everyone from all over the city was so devastated and it really had nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. People were just really angry. That this kind of bill could actually pass in our city and make our city so unsafe. And so, with all that galvanizing and speaking out and protest, when they when time came for a hearing, it, the room was full. It was really, you know, it was really intense and emotional. And that bill is dead. So I'm actually very proud of this achievement. And I don't think this bill is ever coming back in the form that they originally proposed it.
0: Right. And thank you again for your support as always. Did, have you seen the recent article in the New York Post in regards to injuries with the NYPD officers are up 32 uh, percent this year and we're only, you know, six months into the year and 32 percent injuries on police officers as criminals show no fear, no fear at all. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's because of the sentiment, the anti-police rhetoric, the anti-police sentiment that politicians have created. I think it started with de Blasio. Um, I think our current mayor is better on safety issues and he's a former police officer. So I think he's better on that, but that doesn't take away from everyone else in the city council that constantly tries to burden the police department with as much as they can. You know, they have no respect for the police. They encourage this kind of behavior. Um, I mean, in fact, a couple of months ago, Tiffany Caban encouraged her, you guys probably saw it, but she encouraged her constituents not to call the cops if anything should happen to them. So her advice was call 311, bill a soda to distract the criminal, or ask them if if you went to school without. That's her, that's her plan, that's her strategy on fighting crime. As long as you don't call the police. I mean, how ridiculous?
0: Yes, that is ridiculous. I mean, is um, will, is there anything in, will the city council address this matter at all with the injuries uh, with police officers, or I guess not?
2: I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, but like I said. Anything pro-police in the city council does not move forward, even a pension bill, even something so simple, it, it's not going to move forward. The only thing I could say is, you know, we, we did negotiate a budget that was close to the pre-pandemic budget for the NYPD. So we're kind of back to normal with that. So I think that I think they realize that even some of the lefties realize that um, the voters are not interested in defunding the police, that they need the police in their communities. black and brown communities especially want the police. So I think that, you know, it's all about how they're going to vote, right? So they realize that's not going to work.
0: Right. That brings me to uh, my next question, bail reform. What can the city council do to improve uh, this ongoing um, bail fiasco? I mean, it's unbelievable. What can uh, the city council possibly do to help out there?
2: Yeah, I mean, bail reform is a really good point to bring up. Um, And I think that Mayor Eric Adams could do so much in terms of improving safety, but unless we repeal the cashless bail reform, it's not its not going to stop. And this is a state issue. It has to be done in the state. I think even Governor Hochul tried to have the legislature amend it, and they refused. And Mayor Adams, I know, went to Albany twice to fight the bail reform. Didn't work. I think that the more regular folk, regardless of the political aisle, speak out about it, the better. I think they really, in Albany, need to hear everyone's voices on this. I plan to do we'll do some work speaking out about it, but in terms of what city council can actually do other than, you know, speak out and make their voices heard, it's really not much.
1: Adams is, uh, can do a lot more than he's not doing. For example, the city council passed some ridiculous laws in the past, the chest compression bill, the, the qualified immunity. What they've done is they've, they've added on to the restrictions that the state applied on qualified immunity, and they made it a, a local law uh, where the city ca- uh, where the uh, corporation council will not indemnify or or, or help cops uh, with the qualified immunity issue. He can introduce legislation to the city council to repeal these uh, laws, and if the city council uh, doesn't, he can uh, override. And at least he's got the bully pulpit. He can make an issue out of it. So I don't think he's really doing what he could do. How do you feel about that? About repealing well, think- repealing these restrictive laws that the city council passed. That are affecting the pol- uh, police in the city.
2: Well, I agree with you that he could be doing a lot more. He could be more loud on these issues. He also doesn't have to sign a bill that doesn't have a veto-proof majority. So any bill that he feels strongly about, he doesn't have to sign it. Uh, I don't know how many, how much he did, he did that. I think it's important that he indicate. Before or even when a bill comes to the floor, he needs to indicate to the city council how he feels about it. For example, with this landlord bill, insurance 632, he indicated uh, in several statements that he doesn't like this bill. So he he wouldn't be interested in signing that bill. So he needs to definitely make his voice heard if he disagrees with something. And, yeah, I mean, I think I think you can fight harder, not just on policing. There are many other issues that, you know, I disagree with the mayor about. and I think the problem is he still has, he represents New York City, the entire city, and the city is extremely diverse and has a ton of different viewpoints and, you know, communities. We have the left and the right and the middle. And so I think he, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to be a good politician. He's trying to satisfy everybody.
1: If you try to satisfy everybody, you satisfy nobody.
2: I agree with you.
1: <laughs> you know, you mentioned Caban uh, before. Can you imagine if she had won the DA's election in Queens, what it would be like out there?
2: Oh, uh, it would be terrible. I think that's why it's important that we preempt things like this. Uh, and this letter I wrote to the uh, committee, I think it's important because we can possibly prevent People like that, you know, from becoming, coming into public office or becoming judges or becoming district attorneys.
1: Are you keeping an eye on her and other cop like Charles Barron?
2: Uh, oh, Charles Barron. He's been, he's been around for I mean, way before I was born. But yeah, I mean, sure. I kind of don't pay attention much to, to Charles Barron. Whatever he says is just, I think it's kind of expected. I think people kind of, you know, laugh at him, you know, even the left and the the Democrats, you know, if they take him too seriously. It's like kind of expected that he's going to say what he's going to say, and that's it. He's like one of those, you know, insiders. He likes to incite.
1: Yeah, he was a Black Panther.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's a Louis Farrakhan <laughs> guy.
1: Oh, yeah. Anyway, he has a history of uh, being, uh, hating cops. I mean, way back. Um, and, and, you know, I believe his wife is involved in politics, and they sort of rotate. You know, she wins, he 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 runs, he wins. Are you familiar with that?
2: Yeah, they have this elaborate scheme where they they take they take uh, they they switch up. <laughs> I, I know
1: you've been uh, instrumental in pushing back on uh, DA Alvin Bragg's pro crime policies. Can you tell us about that?
2: Oh yeah, he's been one of my biggest targets, I would say, from politicians. Um, I think he is by far the worst district attorney we have in this country. He is, I, I, and I've said this on Fox too. I think he should be working for Legal Aid. I think he'd be good at that. He's Literally there to defend criminals. On day one in office, he issued a memorandum downgrading serious crimes to misdemeanors. And he got tremendous pushback for that. We stood outside Jay's office and protested and rallied. We spoke out against it, wrote letters, you know, appealed to different higher politicians. And after that, shortly after that, he actually took some of that back. So I think it's incredibly important to not stay quiet about these things. So he changed it a little bit, but he still, I mean, if you remember the Bodega case, he charged the, the victim with murder, uh, Jose Alba. I don't know if you guys recall that case, he was attacked in his deli. Yes. Um, yes. And he defended himself after being attacked and he was charged with murder. I mean, this is the state of the city because of Alvin Bragg. And he's all about politics. I mean, he's busy prosecuting Trump. Uh, when we literally have criminals throwing people off the train tracks, murdering, raping people, and he's busy prosecuting Trump. He's busy with political prosecution.
0: Well, let's hope we'll be a one term district attorney. Just... Oh, I
2: mean, amen to that.
0: You know, you have a, uh, are you running for re election?
2: Yes, I have. Actually, something that almost never happens they have a Republican primary. We actually couldn't find anything similar to even go off of because there hasn't been a Republican primary here in at least 20 years. So I have a primary. June 27th is the election day and June 17th to 25th is early voting. So if anyone listening is a registered Republican, I ask that they come out to vote on June 27th or before. Yeah, it's it's almost here.
0: So just to remind everyone that the primary is June 27th, so get out to vote, and let's get Ina back in office and reelected because she's pro-military, pro-law enforcement, as well as pro-USA, and of course, pro-New York City.
1: Ina, Judge Richard Weinberg, who uh, we recently interviewed, he is a strong supporter mm-hmm. of yours, and he has his own... P- program on uh, on Sundays. Uh, I believe he wants to interview you on his program. Are you aware of that? That's what he told us.
2: I'm happy to interview with him.
1: So I believe he's going to contact you and uh, hopefully you can get on his program and tell your story, which uh, we think should be told.
2: Sounds good.
0: Absolutely. So I know you're out there in Brooklyn, you know, hard campaigning every day. Uh, how's how are you feeling about the election so far?
2: Yeah, no, I feel I feel really good about it. Um, I'm running on my record. Promises made, promises kept. Uh, You know, I stood up for NYPD, you know, supported communities, created a patrol group, a volunteer patrol group. And, uh, you know, just stood up for common sense. It's a lot of work. And I'll keep fighting.
0: Thank you, Ina. I'd like to thank you for being on Cop Talk. Ina Vernikoff, who is the 48th District Councilwoman in Brooklyn, running for re-election June 27th and for the primary. And then the election will actually be in November. So please get the vote out there. We need people like you in city council. And good luck to you, Ina, and thank you so much for being on Cop Talk.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'd
0: like to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Cop Talk. Once again, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to Cop Talk. And everyone, until next time, be safe out there. Thank you.